We are currently engaged in the greatest war in our nation's history. It is not the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan. It is not the worldwide war against Islamic fundamentalism. It is an internal, cultural, and spiritual war over the future values of our nation, and the fate of our nation hangs in the battle. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Over the past six weeks, we have been sharing with you some of the presentations that were made at our 2010 Bible Conference, whose theme was Defending the Faith. We're going to continue this week by showing you excerpts from the presentation which was made by Dr. Ed Heinsohn. Ed is one of the foremost Bible prophecy scholars in America today. He's written more than 20 books that deal with Bible prophecy, and I also consider him to be one of the most eloquent speakers in the field of Bible prophecy, and certainly one of the most passionate. Ed is the host of the nationally televised program, The King is Coming, and he serves as a professor of Old Testament studies and eschatology at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. But don't let those academic credentials scare you. He is a very down-to-earth, spirit-filled, friendly, gifted communicator who will bless your socks off. Ed was the featured speaker at our 30th anniversary banquet, which was held at the end of our 2010 conference. His topic was the battle for the heart of America. Here now is Dr. Ed Heinsohn. It is an honor to be here with you tonight. I want to thank all of you. Uh, that uh, prayed for us a couple of years ago when I went through uh, so many episodes with uh, open-heart surgery and the staph infection that uh, followed. I spent 100 days in ICU and uh, nearly died several times, and the folks at Lamb and Lion uh, prayed often for me, as people did all over the world, and I am very, very uh, grateful for your prayers, and I'm about 95% uh, back uh, to uh, normal again. Of course, at my age, I'm not sure what normal is uh, anymore, but uh, uh, God has been very, very gracious to us. Uh, as uh, David mentioned, I teach at Liberty University in Virginia, teach about 2,000 students a year in Bible survey classes, and uh, teach everybody from 18-year-olds up to uh, seminary level, and then fly to California several times a year uh, to do the King is Coming telecast. But uh, I'm here tonight to brag on Dave Reagan. Uh, Of all the prophecy speakers that I have heard, and I've heard them all, some are worth hearing once, Uh, some you wish you'd never heard, Uh, and uh, some are worth hearing a couple of times. This guy's worth hearing every single time, every time. Solid content, great hearts. I thought about the name of the ministry, Lamb and Lion, and I know that that was chosen uh, as a representation of the Savior because Christ is indeed the Lamb of God and the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, But uh, those characteristics and qualities also describe uh, this man. Uh, He has the spirit of a lamb that loves and cares uh, and the heart of a lion who's not afraid to tackle any issue, uh, not afraid to say what needs to be said, uh, whether people want to hear it or not. Uh, And uh, to do that for 30 years 
uh, and do it consistently, do it as effectively uh, as you have for you and your wife, uh, I think we want to take a moment tonight, all of us, to say thank you, God bless you, and we're praying for another 30 years. I'm going to talk to you tonight about the battle for the heart. Uh, Several years ago, Tim LaHaye and I co-wrote a book called The Seduction of the Heart uh, that deals with what I'm going to talk about tonight, and then the publisher decided to uh, have a ghostwriter write a little novelette to sort of open the book, story of a counselor who's trying to help people, but she's not a believer, so she can't really help them, and uh, what happens in her life sort of sets up then the content of the book uh, that really deals with uh, the major spiritual battles that we are dealing with in the world today. And uh, after the book was published and uh, was out for a number of years, went out of print, I picked it up one day and I flipped to the back page. And uh, just out of curiosity, I thought, who was that lady ghostwriter that wrote that chapter in here? And it says in the back of this book, our grateful acknowledgments to Karen Kingsbury uh, for her assistance. Uh, Before she became a best-selling author herself, uh, she was ghostwriting for other people. And so if you get this book, it's LaHaye, Heinzen, uh, Kingsbury. I mean, you've got it all. Prophecy, the spirit-filled life, and romance, uh, all in one volume. Uh, And uh, we brought it back in print. I just have a few of them here. And then a DVD of The Battle for the Heart, The Message Tonight, and two others uh, that are on there. You can get them both for $20. And then uh, our uh, Christians in Defense of Israel petition, uh, part of it to urge the president, uh, do not give up on Israel, stand with them. And the second part of it, uh, telling... Benjamin Netanyahu, we as Christians in America are standing with you. If you'd like to sign one of those, uh, that'll be out there uh, as well. Uh, We believe that is needed in our day and age. We are facing some of the greatest challenges the Christian world has ever faced in its nearly 2,000 years of history. Uh, You have heard uh, wonderful men of God in this conference uh, defend the basic doctrines of the Christian faith that are vital, uh, not only to understanding what Christianity is all about, but vital to making a difference in the hearts and lives of people so that they, in turn, can make a difference in the world uh, in which we live. Uh, The transformation of the heart is the essential element of what really the Bible ultimately is all about. Now, we've talked about the challenges to the mind. And tonight I want to talk to you about the challenges uh, to the heart. And I want to remind you uh, that biblical Christianity is at its core a religion of the heart. Think of Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema, the great statement of faith. Shema O Israel, hear O Israel, uh, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Uh, that that is the essential ingredient of the understanding of Old Testament religion. It is not just a religion of uh, rituals and routines, of ceremonies and sacrifices, but Old Testament religion was to be a religion of the heart. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? 
he quotes that passage from Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And yet we are in a time when America is losing its heart, losing its soul, and unfortunately in many cases losing its mind. We are in a down cycle, and it is obvious to almost everybody. The economy is unstable. Uh, Our global relations are strained. Our national security is compromised. Public education is ineffective. Marriage is on the rocks. Natural disasters are draining our resources. And the Judeo-Christian values of our society are quickly being eroded away. Now, I want to begin tonight with the bad news before I get to the good news. When I was in the hospital... People would come to see me. Now, the first month, I was oblivious. I had a staph infection. I didn't know who was there, and I didn't care. Uh, everybody else was worried that I was going to die, and uh, I, did, I was just in la-la land. I, I didn't know. I was hooked up with wires and tubes and what all, and I went in on February the 25th, and about April, I woke up, uh, and I thought, it's April? Uh, man, I've been here a long time. I need to get out of here, and uh, I didn't get out till June the 3rd of that year, but here's what I learned in the hospital. The doctors like to come in and say, well, we have good news, now we have bad news. Uh, You've been there. Uh, You've heard the old story about the doctor that came in to see the guy and said, I've got good news and bad news. And the patient said, well, give me the good news first. And the doctor said, you're going to be dead in 24 hours. And the patient said, that's the good news. What's the bad news? And the doctor said, I was supposed to tell you yesterday. Uh, Yeah. So I decided... Give me the bad news first, (laughs) then give me the good news. Give me something to hope for. So I want to begin with the bad news. The bad news is we are involved in a battle for the heart and soul of this nation. We are involved in a crisis like we have never seen before in this country. Oh, we've had wars and conflicts and difficulties, but we have never had an intellectual, spiritual, heartfelt war like we are having today. And I would suggest to you that it's being fought on at least five fronts. First of all, you have the problem of secularism in our society. Secularism is the attitude and belief that ultimately there is no God. Uh, that uh, God really is irrelevant to life, that a divine being does not exist. And in an element of secularism, as it grows and develops within society, it erodes the heart and soul of a society because a society without God is ultimately a society without hope, without meaning, and without purpose. Secularism ultimately then leads to relativism. If there is no God, there is no truth. Uh, All truth is looked upon as relative to its own context, relative to your own experience. Whatever is true for you is true and meaningful in your own context, but it does not necessarily apply to anyone else. If there is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell. There is no eternal life to experience. If relativism is correct, then there are no absolute truths of any kind on which to pin your life. And when relativism ultimately has its sway in society, it leads to selfism. Uh, That me, myself, and I am all that matters. Uh, I am the measure of life. What matters is only what matters to me. And we have 
moved into an era of selfishness and self-centeredness almost beyond anything the world has ever known. Uh, the evidence of that is seen in our reality television programs. Uh, you watch the young people in those programs. They are selfish. They are meaningless. They are empty. And they are devoid of effective relationships with anybody beyond themselves. We have moved into a time, I believe, that the Apostle Paul predicted in his letter to Timothy when he said in 2 Timothy 3, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents. I don't know how that got in there. Uh, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, but treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. We are in that generation that Paul saw through the inspiration of the Spirit as he looked down through the corridor of time, down through the halls of history, into the distant future and said, in the last days, there will come a generation so self-centered, so self-absorbed, so in love with itself that they are incapable of loving anybody else. Selfism is the end result of the cultural chaos and the moral disintegration that are the inevitable outcomes of choices that are self-centered and of a view of life without God. Secularism, there is no God. Relativism says there is no truth. Selfism says, I'm all that matters. And selfism inevitably leads to materialism. The attitude, the more that I have, then ultimately the happier I will be, won't I? Uh, that if I have more things and more stuff, then ultimately I can make myself happy. Now, material things are part of the reality of life, but the problem with materialism is that when it becomes the obsession, the driving focus of one's life, your stuff won't love you back. Your stuff won't give you meaning and purpose to life. And the older you get in life, you begin to realize all this stuff that I've accumulated is not the sum and substance of what my life is really all about. In fact, as Solomon said, in many ways it becomes a great inconvenience in life. And yet people are obsessed with the desire of consumerism, of materialism, of possessions, because they've bought the lie that all of these things will eventually make me happy. That's why Jesus said, you cannot love God and love materialism. And when materialism is not enough, it leads then to mysticism. And I would suggest to you tonight, that is where our postmodern culture is today. Mysticism asks the question, if God is not there, is anybody out there? Is anything out there? I remember sitting in a series of lectures 40 years ago. Francis Schaeffer, the great Christian theologian, came to the college where I was studying, and he gave a series of lectures. This was before he wrote any of his books, before he was famous. Uh, and uh, I remember looking at this strange little man from Switzerland uh, standing there in knickers and a goatee uh, in the early 60s in a Bible college uh, and uh, gave a lecture in which he said, 
when modern man comes to the end of his rationalism, he will come to the end of his rationality. In other words, when people have finally rationalized God out of their personal existence, they will go crazy. They will throw rationality out the window as well. And he began to suggest that in the future, we could expect a pseudo-scientific return to the occult. He began to describe things like mystics, a revival of Hinduism and Buddhism, reincarnation, Satanism, shamanism, mediums, palm readers, tarot cards, and psychics. Uh, and I remember sitting there as a young student 40 years ago and saying to myself, now come on, Schaefer, I mean, it's bad, but it's not that bad. They're, they're stupid, but they're not that stupid. Uh, they're not just going to throw God out the window and then grab the devil as a replacement. Uh, they're, they're not going to believe that there are voices coming in from other planets, from outer space, uh, giving them meaning and direction and purpose in life. They're not going to lose their minds I would like to report to you 40 years later that people are that stupid uh, and that he was right. He saw it coming because it had already happened in Europe where he was living. And he saw it coming because he understood the significance of basic biblical prophecies in that direction. And we are now living the reality of what he suggested 40 years ago would become a regular part of American life. He suggested in those lectures that eventually Christianity would be nothing more than vapor and fumes of the past. That all that would be left were a few outward symbols, like a cross, or maybe the Ten Commandments. A few things that people would hold on to, but they would no longer build their lives, make their decisions, and form their values based on Christian principles. They would become biblically illiterate. They would become devoid of theological truth. And ultimately, all of the Judeo-Christian system of values on which our culture had been built would eventually be lost. I believe that all of that has become a reality, and it has led to what many have called the death of the soul. Uh, that today's generation is, in many ways, a lost generation. Larry Crabb, the Christian counselor, put it this way. He said, we cannot talk about loving God until we come to grips with our raging passion for ourselves. It is a challenge for every one of us. Is my life really all about me, or is it really all about Him? Is it really all about my church serving my needs and my desires, or is it all about me serving the Lord through the ministry of that church? So many people today try to treat their church like a full-service bank. Uh, what do you have for me? Do you have ministries that are designed for my needs, uh, etc., uh, with no concern about what's really preached and taught in that environment? A secular counselor named Thomas More wrote a book called The Care of the Soul in which he said the greatest malady of our times implicated in all of our troubles individually and collectively is the loss of the soul. The impact of the media has literally robbed our younger generation of the ability to make a distinction between that which is real and that which is unreal. Uh, in today's movies that are the most successful, it's the recreation 
of virtual imagery that drives those films and causes people to say, wow, what an exciting experience that was. The problem is, it's not a real experience. And they do not understand the difference between reality and unreality. We are also challenged by the basic cultural realities of the day and age in which we live. Digital technology, computers, cell phones, the internet, digital cameras, video recorders. We're using all these things tonight. But all of these things have a tendency to make us focus on that which is not real. I watch students even on our own campus walking across the campus, 11,800 students, almost every one of them on a cell phone, uh, half of them texting to somebody. But while they're talking on a cell phone to somebody in Phoenix, they walk right past a real person and say nothing to them. There is no communication going on of any kind. The communication is electronically driven. It is driven by cyberspace and not by reality. As a result, we are going through a values transition in our culture today in which accountability has given way to autonomy. I want to observe my rights uh, and the way I think things ought to be. Uh, if I uh, called a student down for misbehaving 30 years ago in a lecture, uh, the student would apologize. Uh, today, if I call a student down for misbehaving, they'll get angry. They'll get upset. If I do it too often, the class will congregate to the student and defend the student. How could you do such a terrible thing? How uh, you actually tried to hold him accountable for his behavior. Yeah, it was wrecking the whole deal. Uh, no kidding. Uh, somebody needed to do something at that point. But we have changed the way we look at life today. And for the older generation, our generation, it is difficult for us to understand this. It is difficult for us to even connect with it. It is difficult for us to even understand how the younger generation thinks. Responsibility has given way to rights. Students are quick to assert their own individual and personal rights. I have a right to pass this class. I have a right to get a good grade. I have a right for you to never embarrass me in any way at all. Never call me to accountability of any kind. And therefore, discernment has given way to tolerance. In a culture in which there are no absolute values, the only value that is left is tolerance. You have to tolerate every view and every idea and every concept because when there are no ultimate truths and ultimate values, then every value is equal to every other value. And faith has given way to skepticism. Uh, we are facing a younger generation that desperately needs our love, our help, our encouragement, our insight, our influence, but they are a very skeptical generation. They don't believe what they hear on television. They don't believe what they hear on the radio. They don't even necessarily believe what they hear in church. Uh, they are not convinced just because somebody who appears to be in a position of authority makes a statement that that statement is to be accepted with credibility at all. As a result, Christians are more challenged than ever before to give answers for your faith. Why you really believe what you believe, why you are willing to build your entire life upon that, and why you are willing to commit yourself with confidence for both time and eternity. I believe we can make a difference, but we're facing tremendous challenges, the likes of which the modern world has never known before. We are experiencing, as a result, the darkness of our times. 
And in the darkness of these times, there is a spiritual vacuum today that has spread across America like a plague. Now, in the environment we're in tonight, you don't sense that. But you step outside this room into the rest of the culture, and that spiritual vacuum is growing greater all the time. One of the things that Schaefer mentioned years ago, and one of the things I think Jesus himself emphasizes in one of his parables is, that when you push God out of your world, you never are left with a neutral vacuum. Satan will rush into the vacuum, attempt to fill the vacuum, and turn truth into a lie. It's not true that you can simply have a non-religious culture uh, and that it's fair for everybody. No, once you have a totally non-religious culture, you will have an irreligious culture. Uh, you will have an anti-religious culture. And today, atheism is more aggressive, it is more outspoken than it has ever been before. People dare to attack the credibility of Christ, uh, the reality, as we've heard today, of the virgin birth and the resurrection uh, and the deity of Christ. These things are no longer presented as, well, they might be a problem that needs to be discussed. They are laughed at and dismissed as unreasonable. And yet, at the same time, those very same people will turn right around and say, well, any other religious expression is a reasonable expression. You can talk about any religion on the planet and people are like, okay, yeah, I understand. Yeah, that's good. That's nice. Fine. But if you talk about Jesus and the Bible, all of a sudden there's a reaction. Why? Because Satan only opposes the truth, not the lie. And the opposition comes immediately because he knows this is the truth that will take people out of darkness into light. You have been watching excerpts from a presentation by Dr. Ed Heinsen about the battle for the heart of America. As I said at the beginning of the program, this war is the greatest one in our history because the very fate of our nation depends on its outcome. We will either return to the Judeo-Christian principles this uh, nation was founded upon and which made this nation great, or we will destroy ourselves by descent into paganism. I wish we had the time to show you the rest of Dr. Heinsen's presentation because it gets to the good news about our future. And because that news is so good, we will continue with Dr. Heinsen's presentation next week. In that presentation, Dr. Heinsen will point out that there are five truths that we should keep in mind that will give us hope. As we bring this program to a close, I would like to announce that my newest book has just been published. The title is Eternity. The subtitle is a question, Heaven or Hell? The book contains seven chapters. What happens when you die? What about resurrection and judgment? What will heaven be like? Is hell for real? Are there many roads to God? How can we be certain of life after death? Are you living with an eternal perspective? In the process, I try to provide biblical answers to many of the most common questions that people ask about life after death. The book can be yours for a donation of $15 or more, plus the cost of mailing. Just call the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. And while you're at it, I would suggest that you consider ordering an extra copy for your pastor. One other thing. If you would like a DVD copy of Dr. Heinzen's entire presentation, we can supply it to you for a gift of $7 or more. Just ask for it by name, 
the battle for the heart of America. And now, as we conclude, I want to invite you to be back with us again next week when we will present the conclusion of Ed Heinsohn's great presentation about the battle for the heart of our nation. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.